Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Okay, welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. Today we have with us Stacey Danheiser, who is the founder and chief growth strategist at Shake Marketing, the advisor to many, many brands, huge and small alike, and author of 2.5 books, Valueology and Standout Marketing, and a power book that she'll tell us all about. So welcome, Stacey. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. I'd love to dive into a ton. I want to pick your brain on the book side of things because that's been super fascinating to me lately. But before we do, I always love to ask our guests, how did you first get into marketing and B2B marketing? Yes. So I went to school in college and I wanted to be a journalist and I found out how much journalists make. <laughs> I switched yeah. to business immediately. Yeah. And so marketing was kind of the natural foray into that communications realm. So I got a degree in marketing. Um, I also got a degree in Spanish. And Ooh. when I left college, I ended up getting a job at AT&T in the consumer marketing side for, they had a cable product at the time. And I ended up starting there and taking over the AT&T broadband in Espanol product marketing as well. So cool. Yeah. So that was really my first job. I spent about six years in consumer marketing, working for big cable operators. So doing all the fun promotions with HBO and ESPN, we were filming commercials and sponsoring NASCAR and Olympics. I mean, it was we had multi-million dollar budgets. It was really fun to work in marketing. And I got an opportunity from a former boss that told me, Hey, everything I learned, I learned from this woman. I think you should go work for her. And she was working in a B2B organization. And at the time I wasn't really happy with the company that I was at. So I said, sure, I'll switch over to B2B thinking, you know, that it was going to be extremely similar to B2C. And little did I know it was, you know, my budget was one tenth of what it was in the consumer side. In, In a consumer role, you don't really have a sales channel. We had an inside sales call center that was taking orders, but not really an organization that I had to work directly with. Marketing was was the primary driver of sales in the companies that I worked for. So that was really eye-opening for me, kind of moving and switching over to B2B, that there was this whole other organization called sales that were really sophisticated, experienced sellers that mm-hmm. I learned a ton from and um, started building a relationship. And then I kind of just fell in love with B2B because it was so complex and it was not as fast paced as consumer marketing is, uh, mm-hmm. which I liked. And, and I just sort of loved all of the challenges that came with, with B2B marketing. So I, I stuck with it and I stayed in the corporate world for about 14 years uh, before I decided to leave and start my own consulting. Love. I have so many follow-up questions <laughs> I'm writing down right now. <laughs> One, I'd love to dive into speaking Spanish. So are you a fluent Spanish speaker? Well, not anymore. I used to be, yes, but I haven't practiced it for so long that living in South Florida, I do get to practice it, you know, more than 
been normal, but yeah, yeah, it's one of those things that I can for sure understand faster than I can speak yes. because I need to just sort of be in that environment where I'm constantly practicing. Yeah. You have to come visit me more in Miami where it's yes, all around exactly. us. <laughs> I'm curious when you were speaking fluently, did you find that knowing a second language was a big leg up really? And like just giving you additional value to bring to the workforce? Yeah. I mean, my, my husband also got a degree in management and Spanish. So when he cool. initially started that's actually how we met. We, we met study abroad oh, program in Mexico. And so I love that. Um, yeah. He was from Texas and I was from Colorado and we ended up having a long distance relationship for a while. And then we, we got married and stayed together. Yeah. So. <laughs> Amazing. But if, for him, when he, he was doing HR and he was doing recruiting, so he was using Spanish every single day. And that was definitely a leg up because a lot of the people they were hiring were, it was in Denver, a lot of Mexican population in Denver. So he was speaking Spanish every single day, recruiting people. Wow. On the marketing side, I kind of eased into it a little bit more. The job that I initially got was not related to Spanish at all. And what happened was the woman who was the product manager for the, the Spanish product didn't speak Spanish. And so I would huh. be listening to her communicate to the agency. We used a, an ad agency out of Miami and I would be listening to them kind of struggle back and forth. And eventually she started handing me work to proofread and can you make sure that this makes sense and that we're not saying something that's illegal or whatever. And, yeah. and then eventually they just kind of had me take over that. And so then I Amazing. started building a relationship with the the ad agency and got to speak Spanish all the time and review Spanish commercials. And, and so, yeah. So at the time, yes, it was definitely a leg up. And plus I just loved it. It was so fun, but I didn't end up pursuing really a career going down that, that path. A lot of the companies I ended up working for were corporate headquarters, Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily like a Latin American division. And so that could have been one route that I went, but I chose to stuck with stick with the um, the corporate headquarters, which wasn't as critical to have that second language. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just so fascinating to me. I'm so impressed by anybody who can take on a second language as an adult because it's just so difficult. I always mm-hmm. joke, I think I have on my LinkedIn, I speak 1.5 languages and that 0.5 is Spanish or Spanglish, probably more like it. <laughs> But it's just, it's fascinating to me. I've always been interested in global marketing and travel, et cetera. And it just seems to open so many doors when you can speak Mm -hmm. any other language, right? You might, that might just give you that extra push over another candidate when you're looking for a job or open Mm -hmm. up some opportunity to live abroad. It's just so, so fascinating to me. Yeah. And I think just understanding cultures, that's another, it was interesting. One of the companies I worked for ended up bringing me back when I went into consulting, they brought me on as a consultant and work. I ended up working with their global division. And Mm -hmm. one of those things that they were kind of pushing out a bunch of stuff from corporate, trying to get the divisions to use these marketing materials, but people in Germany were like, they don't want to hear this, right? This is not resonating with the German market, or this isn't resonating with our UK market. And so having that cultural understanding and sort of sensitivity, I think is also really important, especially when you have multiple divisions and it really is different. Yeah. Our different ways that business is conducted. And one of the books that I co-wrote with a couple of authors, they're out of the UK, they're professors of marketing in the UK. And so 
it's fascinating just the nuances of how business is conducted. And, and we always talk about value and making sure that you're communicating value in terms that are relevant to your audience, which includes, of course, this global lens in market lens that you need to have. Yes, that's so true. How do you think you can identify? I mean, a lot of times you have somebody local who that seems to be an easier route in some ways where they just get the culture and they get what values are important for different groups in your ICP. But if you don't have somebody local, where do you begin to, if you're marketing to a country that is not native, that's not your native country, even if they speak English, so, or the same language as you, whatever that may be, how do you, or where do you begin to understand that audience a little better? Yeah. So it's, that's interesting because the first place I would start is with the sales team. So I would assume that if they have, if the company has made the decision to go in a specific market, that they have salespeople that understand the language. And there's a reason, right? That, and typically mm-hmm. it's the sales driven that either they came with relationships or something. So I would start with the the seller and really trying to get that understanding. But also what would be a really good path is to hire even like a consultant, an in-market mm. consultant. I don't think this is, you can try to do Google research and figure out nuances of the culture, but it's just, I think that's a waste of time. Yeah, Your money and resources would be better spent hiring a consultant to just kind of give you a crash course. Tell me all the nuances. Would something like this resonate? How do people react to these kind of things? Like there's all these yeah. little cultural pieces that, hey, we don't ever talk about business. If we go out to lunch, for example, we, we don't talk about business at lunch, right? And Americans are like, let's just get right into it and let's talk about business. And there's certain yes. cultures where, no, you don't do that. You save that for the office. Yeah. Or if you're going to talk about feedback or, or hard things, you do it over tequila or whatever in certain other countries. So yeah, it's just somebody really that would understand that that's sort of in market. I think that would be where I would invest time. It's just not something you can read about and try to absorb. So true. That's a great idea. I never thought of just local consultants to understand the market. That makes sense. Another thing you you touched on was the the budget of B2B being basically one-tenth of what you are working with in B2C. I hear that a lot. Why do you think that is? There's so much money to be made in B2B, but there doesn't seem to be a willingness to spend. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the big thing that I learned is if we had, let's say, in the consumer side, a million dollars to spend on a campaign, we were really, we were spending a big portion of that on creative Mm-hmm. And this is something that's new to B2B, right? A lot of people are spending on maybe the distribution. Let's just do some ads, not thinking twice about, well, the creative is actually what's breaking through the clutter. And so before you go pump a whole bunch of money into ads, like making sure that you have a really strong and sort of differentiated message and some type of creative that's going to to get through the clutter. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one thing. And especially, I mean, I work for really big brands. AT&T is a huge brand. And so they invest a lot in their branding and a lot in the creative. And so a lot of our, our budget went to creative. But also the biggest thing is that in B2C, there are not salespeople. So if you actually add up the salaries of all the salespeople and the commission of all the salespeople, and you move that over to marketing, which mm. in consumer marketing is sales. Marketing yeah. does not have to go, you don't have to go through a seller to make a consumer purchase. And so a lot of that money 
is what is being spent in marketing on consumer. That in makes B2B, sense. You have an entire other department of sellers that are making not only a base salary, but a commission. And so it eats into the marketing budget. That's what I see is that. Yeah. And so I, the, the argument isn't, Hey, let's spend more money in marketing. The argument is, do we really need another salesperson? What if instead of hiring that one other salesperson, we take that salary and we, we apply it to marketing mm. just to see if we can make some progress and some momentum and get some leads and things sellers can work on and we can create air cover and awareness in the market. Let's experiment with that before we rush to go backfill another seller. And so it's sort of that short-term versus long-term mentality. that's different. Yeah. Really good point. The sales team is taking away our budget. <laughs> Just kidding. I know we work hand in hand, but really good point. And we were touching on before we turned on the mics, your A3 method. Is that what it is? Am I saying it right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. It is, tell yes. me all about it. Okay. So this is based on my, my power book, the mini book called Look Inside. The real reason you're not winning, your organization isn't winning the marketing game. Mm. And I wrote this as a, it's literally 20 pages. It's a 20 minute read. It became an Amazon bestseller in the, the one hour power book section. Cool. And so I've gotten really good feedback because it's short and sweet and it, it gets right to the point. And basically why I wrote that was to help organizations. I started noticing a lot of trends kind of keep coming up over and over and over with the organizations that I'm working with. And they would bring me in typically a CEO or a chief revenue officer. And they would say, can you do an assessment of our marketing approach and our marketing team? I don't know if we're working on the right things. I feel like we should be further along and doing better, but I don't know what the gaps are. And so like once I started digging in, I kind of always came to the conclusion that there were certain issues that every single time popped up over and over and over with all of these assessments. And that's really how I end up came up with this A3 method. And so it's the, the A3 stands for three different A's that we look at. So the first is alignment, which is gaps that a lot of organizations have alignment of marketing activity to company goals, alignment to customer needs and motivations, and then also marketing alignment to the sales process and the sales organization and the sales goals. So the first bucket is, is alignment. The second is accountability. Mm. And this is marketing's accountability to have a plan, to focus, to spend time on leadership and development of their own people themselves and their own, their own team and really driving that as a function. And then the third piece is acceleration and acceleration is about tying to revenue and driving revenue and driving productivity and all of the nuances that all of the tactical things that marketing ends up getting into what works, what doesn't work. And the problem is everybody wants to start CEOs specifically with acceleration. Let's just start there and let's just go throw a bunch of stuff out into the market and see what works and how come it's not working. And the answer is every single time that a company skips the other two steps and they go straight mm -hmm. to acceleration and execution, they end up with a huge internal perception problem of marketing, not knowing what they're doing, and also low trust in between this, the C-suite and the marketing function. 
So it's mm. kind of a disservice for marketing to say, yeah, let's just start with acceleration. You're right. Let's just go get a whole bunch of stuff, a lot, a lot of content, and we're going to start spamming everybody with emails. But really marketing has the position and the, the power to be the strategic driver in the organization and to say, no, nope, we're going to take a step back. We need alignment on what we're doing from a company standpoint. How does this relate? How does this yeah. go back to our KPIs and what we've agreed upon? What's the role of marketing versus sales? Because we're, we're not doing a whole bunch of marketing activity that the sales team isn't bought into and that they're not going to pick up the ball and run with. And then of course, alignment to customers, which is the number one thing that CEOs want. I want my marketing team to be customer experts. I want my marketing team to be the voice of the customer internally. And uh, that piece is typically missing in B2B organizations. Yeah. Do you see this being a bigger problem more recently, especially this year where it seems because the pipeline is so is a little dry, let's say, <laughs> then everybody wants right more with less and instant results because they need to fill that pipeline back up. So do you think mm -hmm. it's a lot of skipping over straight to that acceleration right now? I mean, I think the trend has been going on for a long time and I've been in B2B marketing. I've been in marketing for a long time and B2B marketing for, I don't even know, over 15 years. Yeah. And so what I have seen is that the marketing jobs used to be aligned to either a customer segment or to a company goal. So for example, the first job that I got out of college, my job title was acquisition marketing. It was, here's your budget. Your job is to go acquire new customers. I don't care what tactic you use, use yeah. TV, use radio, use print, use email, use the sales team, use whatever you need to use, but your job is to acquire customers. And then I ended up getting, you know, retention marketing jobs where we don't care what tactics you use, but your job is to retain customers, get them to renew, get them to stay loyal to us, run some events for them, do special things, do a loyalty program. It didn't really matter what the tactic is. It was all about the goal. Mm -hmm. And then I've had other jobs where it was about the uh, customer segment. So for example, in one B2B organization, I ran wholesale marketing and it was for, for the cable operators, specifically for cable operators or specifically for large enterprise customers who were defined as basically fortune 1000 companies. Mm -hmm. So basically then the, I had to become an expert in, well, how do fortune 500 companies buy and who are my, who's my target audience and what do these things have in common and how can I break through the difference is a lot of those jobs, I think kind of are starting to come back, but it, we swung the pendulum way on the other side and it became all about the tactic. Mm. So when digital marketing came on the scene, it became, oh my gosh, we need somebody who understands all these digital tactics. You, you're in charge of social media. You, you're in charge of the website. You're in charge of email and marketing automation. That's true. And yeah. they lost sight of the big picture. So this has been happening for over a decade, this sort of short sightedness, I would say, and let's just focus on the tactic. And mm. it's really frustrating for the C-suite because they're not even conscious that this shift happened. And it's frustrating for marketers too, because they want to be seen as strategic. They want to get invited to strategic meetings, but nobody's inviting the social media manager to go help make strategic decisions on like, which is the next market we should launch into, or what's the next customer segment we should launch into. And so I think I see a lot of org, org structures and a lot of people who are organizing by tactic, and it's a complete sort of disservice to the marketing function. 
And marketing will continue to be seen as a tactical function as long as you're structuring that way. That's so interesting because you're a hundred percent right. It's all I see, right? Is you're in charge of this type of marketing. Like you're in charge of email, you're in charge of paid ads, you're in charge of social, um, organic social. It's very, very specific. And I've even felt what's the like kind of bad that I am a generalist. I understand enough of each to focus Mm -hmm. on strategy, but I'm not an expert at email an expert at social Etc. And it's it's made me feel a little, I guess, imposter syndrome at times because I don't have that specialty. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because everybody is so focused on one or two, like a channel, right? A yeah. tactic. That's so interesting. Yeah. Do you think it works best? I guess what kind of structure do you see working best? Getting away from those tactical and having somebody who is in charge of again, like acquisition, and can leverage and learn whichever channels underneath that or having somebody focus on each channel and having a strategist on top of that? Yeah. So I would say it depends on the people. I mean, honestly, there are some people who love to be specialists and they will always be specialists in their career and that's what they want to do. And I think that's great. And there are other people who are, can see the big picture and who are dot connectors and Mm -hmm. who can rise above and be more strategic. And those are the people I think that are, are set up for more success. But if let's say you're in a specialist role, but you really want to be more strategic and you want to grow your career, you're not going to do that. You're never going to be put in charge of marketing. If all you know is sort of that one piece Mm. of the puzzle, you'll just only be seen as a specialist, which is great if that's what you want to be. But if you want to have more responsibility, it's not ever just going to be about one tactic. And so I think there's like a combo. And then I've worked in a bunch of different orgs and helped design different structures. But I think you have basically, let's call them like behind the scenes, back of the house marketing, which is help us run like marketing operations and help us all the tech stuff and help us set this thing, these things up. Maybe it's channel specific and it's you run social media and you run email and you run certain things. But then I think you have like a front of the house uh, function as well. And, yeah. and that ends up working really well if you align to the, how the sales team is going to market. And so how are sellers organized? And some organizations are more sophisticated than others when it comes to sales. And ideally, marketing is helping to drive how the sales team is structured and where the sales team is pointed. Um, Mm -hmm. versus, Hey, we're going to go after everybody in a market. Okay. Well, marketing then can say, well, let's look at, you know, we can either organize it by company size, small business, medium business, large business. We can look at it by industry manufacturing versus financial services versus healthcare, or we can look at it by sophistication. Have they adopted certain practices or certain technologies? that fit really nicely with our tool and with our approach, great, we're going to go to market that way. Mm-hmm. So when marketing can kind of organize by the sales team, it, then they start to become more experts in the customer segment. And so I love like the customer segment segmentation sort of orientation just because it's what the business wants from marketing. Yeah. And if you're in charge of social media, you're not becoming a customer expert you're kind of missing the big picture piece of that. So 
Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I think so. There's probably ways. So anyone who's in like social media and that's your, your strength and that's your passion. Amazing. And if you want to have a career path, let's say to CMO one day, you have to think of how to become, I love the term that you used, a dot connector mm-hmm. and maybe think more strategically. Okay. You you're in social all day, what can you pull from social and being on the ground mm. that you can feed back to other teams? And then that could be your way to, to rise above if you wanted to get beyond the social media mm-hmm. sector, I guess. Well, and I think the other piece too, if, if for anybody in social media that wants to expand, I would say too, look at company goals. So I think one of the frustrations I see from the C-suite when marketing goes to present a dashboard is that there are a bunch of different disparate stats that are being shared and the C-suite has no idea what any of this means. And so social media is a great example because it's like our followers went up and our engagement went up, Yeah, you know, and this, we got five comments or whatever, nobody cares, but what would be interesting is for the report to be about our followers went up. And what I noticed is we got 20 new followers in the top 10 companies that we're trying to get and close a deal with. I just noticed these people started following our page and we engaged with them. Or I noticed that so-and-so commented and we're, I know we're trying to get into this account, right? Giving them little insights that are relevant that either the sales team can know and understand or that the C-suite can see yeah, some of this stuff is working and we're hitting the people that we want ultimately to be our customers versus these, we got 40,000 followers. And by the way, 39,000 are irrelevant that are never going to buy from us. So yeah, getting more (laughs) like specific in those examples and, and sharing it, right. Bringing that attention to whomever it helps to close deals. Yeah, exactly. So true. And speaking of getting tactical and these tactics, Is there anything right now that you see in particular that's working with the clients you're working with? Like what tactics, what channels or anything like that, that's that you're seeing success with, if there's any kind of theme? Yes. So a couple things, one is, which I have seen work. It just takes a lot more time, but it's been working and it will continue to work is thought leadership. So really taking the time to build out, and this is not just, Hey, let's put together a report. This is like running a whole entire program of, we did a survey and we got our customers to respond and also some non-customers. And here's these things that we learned. And then we published it in a report. And then our CEO went and did a webinar series about it. And we invited a whole bunch of customers. And then Mm -hmm. we did a, a talk, a live talk at some conference about it. Right. And so it's sort of like taking a piece of thought leadership and seeing how many legs you can really get out of it. I've seen a lot of success with that because we don't need more content and we don't need more information. We are already all overloaded, but what we do need is like somebody to help us make sense of it all and to hold our hands through it. And so the people that I think are rising to the top and helping do that and sort of demystify, here's all this crap that you're seeing out there. Let me tell you what it really means. And we have people on our team who are experts on all this stuff and we're going to bring them on and we're doing a webinar panel and we're going to bring up some customers and just sort of organizing that it's been, I've seen that be really successful with companies just trying to get into accounts and you're doing that by offering them not just like, Hey, come to an event, but really insightful sort of education. Yeah. So the second I would say of course is 
LinkedIn outreach mm. and continuing to post on LinkedIn and to build relationships with people on LinkedIn by commenting on their posts and then reaching out, not nice. with a pitch in a DM, but really to build a relationship. There are certain companies and sellers that get that and others just do not. And so the ones that get it are seeing success and it's a slower route to victory. And I think that's yeah. why some sellers are a little hesitant to adopt that because I just want it to be fast and I just want to copy paste and send this thing to everybody, but it's not really how you make relationships or friends either. So yeah, it's so <laughs> it's true. Kind of, yeah. Applying that concept. And then, you know, I work with some companies who are in the commercial construction space. Mm -hmm. So what they are selling is different, multi-million dollar deals, right? They don't need thousands of leads and thousands of people yeah. coming to their website. So for them, it's really about account-based marketing and yeah. it's being extremely personalized, literally a campaign of one that you can invest money in, you can travel for, you can do some things that are really hyper-focused on understanding that client. And so yeah. anybody who's selling like a, a big ticket item, account-based marketing is the way to go. It's, and gifting you don't need is probably big there. Yeah. Yeah. It's gifting, but it's more, it's face-to-face a lot of face-to-face -face and building relationship. I mean, if you're about to spend multi-million dollar on a, on a commercial construction project, you're in it for the yeah. long haul. We're going to be working together for two or three years. So yeah. I need to make sure I like you and that I trust you and that I believe in you and that we can make this thing work and I can yell at you if I need to, right? We can have a good time if we need to, but yeah, it's a long-term relationship. And so spending the time on the front end to build yeah. that relationship is critical. Love that. I mean, good reminder, everything comes down to relationships, right? At the end of the day, especially in B2B marketing when you're yeah. higher ticket items, typically. One tactic I'm seeing lately is leveraging books for demand gen. And I'm okay. seeing this, I, I mean, obviously Alice from Cognizum, the CMO at Cognizum, I cannot say her last name, so I don't want to pretend I butcher it, <laughs> but she released, um, I think it was first time diary of a first time CMO. Okay. And that went viral all over LinkedIn. Everybody wanted a copy. I think there were limited copies. It was huge, right? And it got her, I think, to break into new markets with Cognizum. It was huge for the brand. And just this week, I've seen on my LinkedIn feed, at least two or three brands come out and publish books that sound like amazing books that I want to read, but they're from the brands or from the founder mm. of the brand or from the CEO of the brand. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on... A, this becoming more popular if you're seeing that as well, and B, where AI comes in with this, because we were touching on that a little bit before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great, it goes back to maybe like taking a spin on thought leadership, right? It's because to write a book, I co-wrote two books and then I wrote this power book. You really have to have a central sort of thesis and an idea that's pretty cohesive. Yes and a unique perspective. So here's another book about whatever, social media, the importance of social media. It's like, okay, we all know that we've all <laughs> seen that it's been around for a long time, right? It has to be something different and something unique. And this is where it helps to be really niched down. So yeah. If you can define like this was specifically written for in Alice's case, first, if anybody who's in a first time chief marketing officer role or wants is, is on that career 
track, right? Yeah. So it's very, very specific. People are not going to be reading that that aren't in, fitting that profile. So I think one, I like the idea of, of brands doing this, using the perspective though of somebody internally, whether that's the chief financial, not probably financial officer, probably it's like an engineer, the head of engineering or mm. the co-founder or somebody who created a product or has patents yeah. related to that. That's really viewed as an expert and you can, you can establish some expertise and authority around and really that it's written, um, not just from a ego point of view, but yeah. that it's educational and that there's a real clear purpose. If a brand is publishing it, it needs to have a really clear purpose. So I'll give you an example. One of the companies that I worked for, and this was actually nine years ago, they wrote a book that was, oh. that was branded from the company and it was a hardbound book. They, the target audience was financial advisors. So it was mm -hmm. all about, they called it the wow customer experience and how financial advisors can start to wow their customers. And there was little excerpts and, and things written, but they also gave this copy. So they, they sent these copies of the book out every time they met in person or did an event, they would bring copies of the book and give it to everybody. Cool. And it went over yeah. really well. And it was a cute book. So you could have it sitting out. It wasn't like a PDF or a, a paperback. So people would use it and reference it and it was easy to read and it was short, but they also gave a copy of this book to every new employee. So mm. when you were being onboarded, it was, Hey, this is our philosophy for how we also treat our customers and what we want to be known for. So it was yeah. a great sort of two pronged approach to getting something distributed to customers, but also to employees to get them to kind of embody the brand a little bit more and understand the brand a little bit more. So yeah. I thought that was a good example. So it's just, I think being intentional about the purpose of the book to begin with. Yeah. And that unique perspective is key, like you said, because yes. I've, I've seen some books out there that exactly like your social media, or I think it was example, mm -hmm. it's just saying what we already know or the basics, or it's just not as appealing to, it's also mm -hmm. what draws you in. It's kind of the hook, like on yes. LinkedIn posts, right? Like what will get people in and probably I wonder, because I haven't read these two that I just saw in my feed yesterday, but you want to make sure it's not salesy. Right. Cause you don't want it. Last thing anybody wants to do is read a book. That's just pitching you their product um, right. at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. So Yeah, exactly. And then AI is a whole <clears throat> other thing. I read somewhere that Amazon, you can self publish a book on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, Amazon had to increase the price of self publishing because they started to see this sort of influx of all these people who are submitting AI generated books. And there are people you've probably seen, I, I saw a couple on Twitter. They're like, I want to write one book a day using chat GPT. Oh, so gosh. it's like, really, do we need, like, that's a great, interesting goal that you want to write 300, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> 50 yeah. books or whatever. But really, do we need that many new books written by AI? So yeah. I, it's funny, it brings up this question, are we going to start seeing some type of label, like the organic food labels that we have that says, you know, written by human versus... I love that idea. <laughs> so we can, we can distinguish that, okay, this is a real, a real human spent time and effort and there's real stories in here versus AI yes. that doesn't have those stories that might not have the personal experiences and things that resonate with us as humans. 
Yeah. And that true perspective, right? That's something AI cannot really deliver is the perspective, Mm -hmm. the unique perspective. Yeah. It's actually scary to me, like the amount of content as a marketer, especially in B2B content is king, right? We all say, we all know, but now it's just getting scary. The amount of content that is being pumped out, that is not that great and not very strategic or helpful, which at the end of the day, your content needs to be high quality, right? And it has to help your ICP, whoever you're intending to read this or watch this, any kind of content form. But it's just scary that it, mm-hmm. there's this overwhelming amount. And if they package it well and title it well, you're going to be sucked in and waste your time on this crap yeah. content, <laughs> especially well, if it wasn't exactly. edited. Yeah. I'm talking about, I see a lot of companies that want to go into verticals. Mm -hmm. And so, Hey, I'll go to their website and I see eight verticals, click on the vertical that's most interesting to you, manufacturing or whatever. And the reality is they aren't experts in any of them. They had one customer who happened to be in manufacturing and then they created a whole webpage for manufacturing. But anybody who has worked in manufacturing goes to that webpage and they can quickly see within one second that this company has no depth. It's very surface Mm. level information. And I think that's the danger with AI. I think all these CEOs are rushing to replace real research and real marketing or seller expertise. Yeah. Well, let's just do it on chat GPT. Just go ask chat GPT. What do manufacturing companies care about, right? What are the top challenges facing manufacturing companies? But it's so broad and so general and so vague that somebody, a real person working in that industry can see right through it. Yes. And this is where going back to your suggestion of the quality data collection, like a survey and collecting a ton of data Mm -hmm. to back up maybe a first step in this manufacturing example, you survey a bunch of manufacturers to find out their top 10 challenges. And then you dive really deep into two of them Mm -hmm. in a follow-up survey. And then you report on that and you're learning in the process yourself and providing valuable content to that audience at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. But AI can't do that. <laughs> well, exactly. And so I think a lot of people are just wanting to skip that step. That takes too long. Let's just go ask chat GPT and, and get something out quickly. But I just caution people, this is your brand, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, how long you want short-term results, but one false move. And now you're 10, 15 steps behind back yeah. instead of ahead. So you got to just be careful. Like we saw with that New York times article that they're getting sued for having using chat GPT. There's false information in there. So mm-hmm. I think it's a little scary. I think a lot of CEOs are excited about it because it's cheap productivity, yeah. but it's just kind of funny when I see how much they're yeah. willing to kind of throw everything else out just to be cheap and fast and easy. Yes. Agreed. It's a balance. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. And one thing I want to make sure we touch on before we wrap up, Stacey, is you run a marketing mastermind. And I'd love to A, hear a little bit more about this and B, hear from you on why masterminds and communities are so important to be a part of right now, especially for women, but women in B2B marketing or anyone Mm -hmm. in B2B marketing. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So I started consulting 
And basically I define consulting as, you know, a beginning and an end to a project. Companies would have me come in. I would have a set amount of work. I would typically do customer research and value proposition development and marketing strategy. And then I would leave. In some yeah. of those companies, I, they would say, well, can you stay on and help? Really, I played a more fractional CMO role. I was staying mm. on. I would help them hire people. I would help them design the org. I would help train their people and work with them kind of one-on-one in a, a coaching capacity. And so mm-hmm. what I wanted to do was to take this into more of a group model because I was seeing, especially for companies that are on the mid to smaller size, a lot of times marketing is working in an island. It's like a small team. They're reporting to a non-marketer, a CEO or chief revenue officer typically, and they have nobody else to bounce any ideas off of. And so Mm -hmm. when the CEO comes and says, we have this great idea, or just, I just heard chat GPT fire our copywriter and all of our agencies. And we're just going to use this now. They have nobody else to go to to say, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? What should we be doing? And so that's really why I initially started it was because I wanted to provide a forum for real guidance and real-time feedback and sort of peer interactions. But also because going back to what we were talking about, a lot of companies skipping steps, Mm -hmm. I saw that the marketing person is thinking that the CEO, because the CEO is typically maybe more assertive, typically male (laughs) coming and saying, we need to go start a podcast. Okay. I'll get right on it. I'm going to go research how to start a podcast. And so because of the imbalance, maybe of authority and also assertiveness, the marketer is not confident enough to push back. And they're, they're assuming that the CEO knows exactly what they want because they've done the research and this is the right thing for our business. But in reality, the CEO does not know. They're typically chasing a bright, shiny object or a silver bullet approach. Yeah, And so I wanted to help the marketer understand a framework that this is the path that really the steps you should be going through. And if your CEO comes up with another great idea, you can go back to these steps and say, that's interesting. Yeah, we could look at starting a podcast, but first we're going to do some research. I'm going to do some competitive analysis, see what we're, we would be competing with, talk internally about who would be our subject matter experts and if this is even possible to produce, give you an execution plan to tell you really the resources required to make this thing work and to pull it off. And I'll come back yeah. and present to you a plan. And we can decide then if it makes sense or not. And so this mastermind is really to help do those two things, provide sort of that guidance and feedback, but also like for real time, immediate situations, but also to provide a framework that marketers can feel confident. Yes, I know what I'm doing. Yes, I know what the steps are. Yes, I have the tools that I can use to help facilitate folks internally to get alignment because I, that's the one piece that nobody really ever talks about the job of a marketer yeah. is alignment and yeah. getting buy-in and the majority, especially as you grow in your marketing career, the majority of your time is spent on internal marketing and getting buy-in and getting alignment. That's so true. And so it's an eight week program and I keep the groups small. So there's a lot of interaction and people get really good feedback and just, you know, can get them kind of get unstuck and also just feel confident. Okay. Now I can go back and present this. Somebody else has looked at it. Somebody else has weighed in and now I don't feel like I'm on an Island. Yeah. And even probably just to source ideas from each other as well. Mm -hmm. I know my close friends that are also in B2B marketing, it's been 
a lifeline to have them to just bounce ideas off of and hear what they're doing, which will spark ideas or ways to change something I'm working on. And just Mm -hmm. having that like a mini community of friends that are that get what you do and are doing something very similar. It's just it 10x's your output and what you're able to accomplish. And you're right. Mm -hmm. It gives you that confidence. Yes. Yeah. And that's really what I ultimately want to see. And especially women, because I just hear this recurring theme over and over. I just don't feel very confident sharing my ideas. I just wish I was more confident speaking up. I just wish I was. Yeah. And so when I keep hearing this over, I'm like, okay, well, confidence comes from one knowledge. Do you know what to do? Do you have a framework? Do you have the tools? Sure. You can go to YouTube and YouTube this stuff all day long, but what's to say that this is the right strategy for your business. Right. And Mm -hmm. like how to start thinking strategically. Yeah. And then it also comes from practice. And so in the, the program, uh, there's specific assignments that the participants go and do because it's not just, okay, I'll learn this and then I'm going to put it in a drawer and maybe look at it later. No, go have the meeting, go ask these questions. You're head of finance, right? Go meet with a customer, go talk to the head of sales. Yeah. So there's specific assignments that just sort of help folks practice this. And then eventually, so it's knowledge practice and then eventually experience. And once you get the experience, you're like, okay, now I know what I'm doing. I feel confident. I can sit up a little bit taller and be a little more assertive in those meetings and and push back because I have really good questions I could ask. And I see how all the dots are connecting. Very cool. Well, Stacey, for anybody who wants to learn more about this masterclass or connect with you, where can they find this info and you? Yes. So my website is uh, shakemktg.com as in marketing. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So would love to hear from you on LinkedIn. And then I can share information and give you a link to my book or all of that is on my website. But yeah, that would be the place to go. Perfect. I'll link to all of this in show notes too. And I'm very excited to read your power book. Um, So definitely send them my way. And thank you so much, Stacey, for joining us. I have a ton of notes. This was just great advice across the board and, and good reminders. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. All right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And thanks everybody for joining us. We'll see you next time. Again, like the show, review, share with a friend. It helps us uh, get more reach and reach more women in B2B marketing. Thanks everyone.